This episode is sponsored by Hulu in support of Casual Season 3. What if everything you thought you knew about your family changed overnight? Welcome to the all-new season of Hulu's critically acclaimed comedy, Casual. With new jobs, partners, and past secrets coming to light, Season 3 of Casual promises to be the funniest and most engaging season yet. The new season of Casual is now streaming only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. Travis. Travis. <laughs> Sounds like, I mean, Travers and Travis, I think would probably sound the same in Boston. What if you named your son Travis Travers? That'd be cruel. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't really like Travis as a name in general, but... Sorry, Travis fans, Travis people. There's a I like the band Travis. There's a band called Travis. Yeah, they had a couple of big hits in like the early in the aughts. Did any of their reviews start with Travis is a travesty? Oh no, because they were good. The travesty of Travis. <laughs> no, that'll be that'll That's be my headline. The travesty <laughs> of Travers. Oh. The travesty. The travesty. Oh, New my. nickname. <laughs> That, that is going to stick. They always say you can't come up with them for yourself. And I'm like, you know what? If they're derogatory enough, you can. <laughs> well, that was, of course, very scintillating uh, television-related content. Uh, but we're gonna, today, today we're going to talk a little bit about something that this, is, this might be really humble braggy the more I think about this topic. Like, are we going to get people yelling at us for talking about this? People never yell at us. Sometimes no, they don't yell at us. They do. They do. They do seem to tolerate us to some degree. Shockingly, but we've never we've never really maybe pushed the boundaries. So who knows? <laughs> this is the episode in which we dare you to yell at us. <laughs> but well, the thing we wanted to talk about, and I think this is something like three years ago. I over three years ago, I started this job uh, working at IndieWire, and prior to that, I'd you know been working as a journalist uh, covering other media, and I'd had a lot of access and opportunity. Uh, to speak with people who I needed to speak with regarding certain, uh, you know, media properties and whatnot. But, you know, joining IndieWire has had a lot of wonderful benefits for my life, one of which is the fact that I've gotten to not only write about some amazing television, but talk to the people who make it. And I think that's something that you're, you've, you're also pretty familiar with. I know some people. You know some people. I've met some people. You've, got, you've gotten an email directly from Damon Lindelof. <laughs> yes, this is... This is true. Yeah, so this is where we get into the humble braggy territory. But this is where you let Ben start talking about the leftovers. <sighs> I didn't bring it up. Okay, so leftovers, still the best show on television. Um, there is a billboard in Santa Monica right now. On Santa Monica Boulevard. Sorry, yes, on Santa Monica Boulevard, overlooking a very influential population of people uh, that has obviously, you know, their their classic cut of Thoreau shirtless Carrie Coon behind him. Season three poster slash billboard, and then just in giant letters, magnificent masterpiece, masterpiece. Damn it, masterpiece. Even better. And then in very small print, you can see IndieWire. That's like yeah, <laughs> and it's yep. an FYC ad. Yeah. Emmys, Emmys, Uh-oh. get it the Emmys, get it, all of them. Oh man, it'll be really interesting. I'm I'm really. Really going to be glad that we're all in the office watching the Emmys together, the Emmy nominations together. You're going to see me die or live, <laughs> or die and then live again. I will, I will either be crawling out of the bathtub or drowning in it. Wow. Whoa. 
Wow. That was actually really good. Yeah. I didn't like, I kind of thought of the bathtub thing first and then I was like, oh, it works. Yeah, we don't actually have any bathtubs here at the offices. Um, but the point but you is, get it. But the point is, like, it's from the leftovers. That's what Kevin, like, he he crawls out of the bathtub in the hotel when he's an international assassin. Right. But then in the latest episode, yes. they drown him mm-hmm. in a bathtub. Right. To send him back. Right. Spoiler alert. Yes, for last night's uh, leftovers, as you listen to this. Correct. But you should be watching it regularly, or yeah, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and worried about spoilers for the leftovers. The boat has sailed. Okay. I'm going to see if I can maybe get this on track. Do we need to steer away from the leftovers? No. Uh, we can stay on the leftovers. Do we need to hype, hop on our bikes and ride across the Australian countryside? No. No, here's my question for you, Leftovers, Trevor! <laughs> um, guys, uh, just think about it like this. I haven't eaten a lot you, today. You, you 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 guys get to get like twenty minutes to thirty minutes of Ben doing this. I I, I live with it it's on true. a daily basis. Just just think about that every once in a while. Yeah. Um. But here's my question for you: When was the first time you interviewed Damon Lindelof and Tom Parada? Because I remember that I spoke with them at the beginning of season two. Did you ever speak to them before then? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think you spoke to him first. Yeah. Because, I mean, here's my question. How do you feel like your relationship with The Leftovers has changed from season one when you loved it and you weren't doing interviews or anything in connection with it? And now in season three, when you basically are playing Pikachu, playing Pokemon with the entire cast and creative team? I don't understand the metaphor. You're trying to catch them all. Oh. Well, I've succeeded. (laughs) You haven't. What do I win? I don't know. I don't know how Pokemon works. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I think you win more Pokemon. So wait, the, the question. The plural Pokemon is Pokemon. The question is, that. how do I feel? Or how, how does your relationship with the show, show change, do you think? It's a very big question, Liz. Yeah. Um, I mean, admittedly, also, like, the show has evolved in its own way, so. I'd say my biggest challenge with The Leftovers is, <laughs> is, is what I bring unto myself more than what has been brought upon me. Right. Um, I, by being a very vocal fan of the show worry from time to time that that diminishes my critical voice. And I try to make up for that by writing 2,000 word reviews in which I'm very, very explicit about what is so impressive about these episodes. Just say it's good. We don't care anymore. Oh, people care. I I know they do. I've gotten more thank yous for the 2,000 word review than any of the piddly little 1,000, 1,500 word review. Um, Get ready for those last two guys. Uh, Oh, God. So, no, I, I'm much more worried about myself than what has been brought upon me by, I don't know why I keep saying upon, um, by speaking to other people. Um, in terms of how it's changed. Well, I think what's interesting about what you bring up is the fact, because it's not so much the fact that what, what seems to have changed for you is the fact that you're more vocally a fan as opposed to a completely, you know, impartial judge. Well, yeah, and I see myself in a role that's important. I, I, I don't feel like I'm important, but I feel like the role is important in that I have access to IndieWire. They are granting me this. I can use IndieWire to tell more people about a show that really matters and that can really affect people emotionally and, and can do very important things. And because it's always been a show that struggled, I've, been, I've, tried to be, I've tried to take every opportunity I can get to do that. And at times I feel like 
that comes off as too fanish, mm-hmm. like too much of a super fan instead of being an explicit critical voice, especially because I, I try to have fun with it. I try to make, you know, like I try to have like a good time with The Leftovers mm-hmm. as much as I try to take it very, very seriously and pay respect to the show and the actual reviews. Um, so, no, I feel like I hold myself very accountable. And uh, I think to the point that you're alluding to, speaking with the people who make it only makes me more accountable. Uh, I feel like if I am not inaccurate, I'm not worried about like being wrong about a fan theory or something. Right. But if I don't, you know, give it my all, if I don't pay attention, if I am not, if it, it, they are holding me responsible as much as the show itself, because I respect it so much as holding me responsible uh, to making sure that I am there for it. You know, it's, it's not, I'm never going to write something lazy about this show because I'd never want that to get out there. And I'm never, I'd never want to write anything lazy about any show. But I feel like if I'm going to be critical about something now, like if I don't like something about The Leftovers, I have to have a good enough argument to make that when, you know, uh, (laughs) when one of the writers reads it, when Haley Harris reads that argument, it's like, okay, well, that's a fair point. He saw it that way. I disagree, but we'll move on. Like, it's not like, well, he's an idiot and he missed out on something. So I feel very accountable to the people. I don't feel like I owe anything to them. I just feel like uh, I want to make sure that they they can understand and respect the argument that I make. Well, I think your position is one I, th- I feel like a lot of critics, uh, you know, are as a lot of people currently covering TV experience, and it's because many of us also grew up as giant fans of TV in general, and now we've just figured out, we've just figured out ways to con people into letting us do it for a living. Um, sure. But it's it, like, I, it's interesting, like hearing you talk about like hearing you talk about it. It makes me think. I I got assigned uh, our Twin Peaks review for the first two episodes, be- largely I think because you couldn't go to the premiere because your mom was in town. Like I'm pretty sure of that. If you had been able to attend, you would have written that review. Mama Travers in town had a good time. Yeah. Guested on last week's podcast. Yeah, you're all welcome. Hi, mom. <laughs> Hi, Anne. Um, and so, and I was glad to have the opportunity to write, you know, a review because it was a big review and it did pretty well. And I, it was interesting to try to come at the show. But what um, what interested me about what was interesting to me about the writing process of that review is I, I'm not a huge Twin Peaks fan. Like I, I've seen a lot of the show. I know the show really well. I studied up a lot, um, did my research in advance. But I was coming at the review with a lot more objectivity, I think, than I think like I've, I, other shows I've reviewed. Like The Handmaid's Tale is a show that I feel deeply personal. I feel I feel very deeply personal about. I don't think grammatically that was correct, but whatever. Um, but it you know that's a show that means a lot to me. That has a really important that has a lot of meaning to me, and I'm repeating myself now. Point is, not that Twin Peaks doesn't have meaning to me, but it doesn't have the same emotional significance. And I think that really affected, like, what, what, what the way I looked at Twin Peaks critically. It was a new experience for me as opposed to what I think you do a lot more often, which is you are oftentimes when you're, you're, you're review, you review a lot more things than I do. So a lot of times you are just kind of taking on random assignments and seeing what you think of a show that you might might or might not connect with. Well, I think that's really the job. Like, I understand the, the difference you're making, but the, the important thing to do when, as a critic, something affects you personally, if there is something that, that 
like in The Handmaid's Tale, I mean, because it is such a, a stark parallel to our times and speaks directly to a lot of the issues swirling around in our brains outside of the show. Uh, the, the key thing as a critic to convey in that kind of review is that it's either doing that well or it's doing it poorly. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something you take into account. If you have a personal connection to it, all the better. Like, you should bring that in, but you just have to make sure that you can explain it rather than just praise it for being personal. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, I, I don't see any problem with, with taking a personal angle towards something um, and with Twin Peaks, I mean, just just like you said, just because you hadn't, you weren't like a super fan going into it, you understand what's going on, you understand how TV works, you did your due diligence in preparation for it, if not more so, because I know everything you did. Um, so you're as prepared as anybody else, and that's the thing. Like, reviews aren't written; we're not writing these for only one group of people. Like, mm-hmm. you're not just writing it. Like, even though Twin Peaks has an incredible and very passionate fandom around it and they are going to read everything, that's not the only person you're writing the review for. So you're, I don't really like the word, but quote-unquote objective take on Twin Peaks, that's great. Like, that's that was a great thing to do. Like, that was the that was a good way to approach it. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think your review spoke to that, so. Well, thank you. I mean, I think it's just... I mean, I, I I think I saw somebody comment on Twitter about how, how many different Twin Peaks takes they were seeing that were just, like, basically personal essays about growing up with the show. Yeah. Um, like, a lot of that commentary. And I had none of that because uh, my relationship with Twin Peaks is when I was in high school, my friend Nikki had the whole thing on VHS, and she conned me into watching it by saying David Duchovny gets in drag in a few episodes. Um, so those were the first episodes of Twin Peaks I ever watched, actually. And I mean, on the, on the flip side of it, you reviewed all of the X Files revival, um, <laughs> and you have a you obviously have a deeply personal connection to that, and that came through in the writing, and that was something that was absolutely beneficial to every reader who would be encountering it. Um, so that's like a level of expertise, but there there isn't a there isn't a good reason to ignore the personal side of things, and and critics who can speak to it will speak to it. Critics who don't have it are speaking to a lot of the new people who are coming in on board. That's why there's so many reviews. That's why you shouldn't just read one person or one thing for every No, they should show. only read IndieWire. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, because we're the best. But, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I feel like that's fine. But what's interesting, like to your point, mm-hmm. is you went to the Twin Peaks premiere. Oh, yeah. So you were reviewing those first two episodes based on watching them in a room full of fans. And after listening to, you know, David Lynch give an introduction about trees. Yeah. So it's like you're in the presence of David Lynch. Like you didn't you didn't have to go up to him and read him your review. But like his presence being around, uh, you know, it's something you grow accustomed to. But it is still it is still different than normal. It is it is weird to watch something in the like in the room where people with the people who made it and then know you have to go back and write critically about it. It's only happened to me a couple of times before, like. Mostly because usually, usually if I'm watching something at a premiere, I've already I've seen like a screener of it already. Mm-hmm. Um, like I just watched a screener for something last night that um, I'm, I'm actually really excited about seeing in a theatrical experience in a couple weeks. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, it's weird. Like uh, David Lynch was sitting like he actually came into the theater. He he made a speech and then he came back into the into the theater. He sat down um, maybe like ten rows ahead of me. Um, it was like, yeah. And yeah. And like also, and it also always plays better in that sort of environment. Oh yeah. Um, like the jokes land better. 
you know, people get more surprised. There's one moment in the first two episodes of Twin Peaks where literally, like, I, I shouted out loud and I was not alone. Yeah. And I, I mean, speaking to that theatrical experience, which, again, is something fairly specific, but, you know, it's yeah. something we run into enough where it's it's a consideration for critiques. It, it falls under the category of, like, think, how access has affected the way we perceive certain things. Right. And I, I mean... It's something that you just have to get used to. Like, it's something that you have to take into account because you're going to experience it both ways. And once you've gone through that experience, then you understand it better the next time it comes about and you're a better critic for it. You have a better critical voice because of it. Um, but, like, I mean, we I went to the uh, Veep Emmys event last night and they screened the upcoming episodes so nobody would seen it. But we were in a room full of fans, you know, who love Veep and everybody was just hysterical throughout. And somebody afterwards asked me... Um, they hadn't seen the season yet, but they were there to cover it. And they were like, is this, is this the best episode so far? Cause I mean, this people had such a strong reaction to it. And I was like, well, they had a strong reaction cause uh, partly because they're in the room, partly cause they're excited, partly cause it's the first, partly cause you're watching it with a group of people instead of a lot of people watching TV alone these days, which is a very different experience, mm-hmm. um, especially for comedy. Uh, but no, it wasn't that it was a head over heels, better episode. It was the environment, but because you know, we've gone through this before, you're able to identify that. Like, you're able to separate kind of the, like, film people go through this all the time at festivals. Mm-hmm. You'll be at a festival screening, oh, yeah. and the impression that is made from certain festival screenings is so addictive. Like, it's such a, a rush to be a part of that, that that can cloud your, the first, if that's your first time there, seeing it like that, that can cloud your review of it. But it, once you've gone through it a few times, and then you get the perspective from it, and you go back and watch it again in a, you know, sterile environment, and you're like, oh, okay, I, I either really agree with what I said, or I don't agree with that, and then you adjust uh, for your future reviews in the same context, and, and you're better for it. So, I mean, it, it's something that's a factor, but like most things in life, to me, self-awareness is key. You just have to be aware of it, and once you become aware of it, it's you're going to be better for it. Because speaking kind of the earlier points of who we talk to, um, they're going to have more respect for you if you're honest and direct and you make good arguments than if you just praise them. Like if all you're doing is praising somebody, that's going to be boring. Really? I mean, because I feel like I feel like generally, I, I, I mean, I always get really uncomfortable when someone asks the question of, oh, what did you think of it? Um, like, yeah. Well, it's natural to get uncomfortable when you're in the moment with them. But whenever somebody's confronted me about a review, uh, if I'm, I, I, it's usually better off for standing behind it. Like it's usually better what off. Are for, you, what what reviews have you been confronted over? I don't want to get. I'm not gonna. Aww. I'm not gonna pull that curtain back. Aww. But I want to know. No, that's that's something that's private. Okay. That's something that is off the record for sure. <laughs> All right, I'll interrogate you later. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think really it's, like you said, like I think it's just a matter of, you know, keeping perspective to a degree. And I will say, that make this point too, which I think is something that's absolutely crucial in, especially in our situation where we are, like if, if, we lo- if we're covering a show, um, often, you know, we could write the review, we could do the interviews, or like we'll write the review and then we'll go after the interviews, or we go after the interviews and then we end up writing the review. Like sometimes you're just stuck with that show. Right. And we used to try to split that up more, and we still try to kind of, but it's also just a, a quantity issue at this point. Um, what I think is really important is you need to you need to form your opinion on the show before you talk to them, or you need to make sure that what they're saying to you is is 
as objectively true as possible. And, and to give you an example, it's something like if I had problems with the way I interpreted, let's say, Twin Peaks, because Twin Peaks could be interpreted a thousand ways. Yeah. Um, if I had a, a lot of issues with it and my first reaction to it was really negative mm-hmm. and then David Lynch shows up at my diner and he sits down and we have a cup of coffee and I talk to him about all my problems with it and he has an answer for everything. Um, you shouldn't use those answers. Like you, sh- you need to learn to trust your initial reaction. And if it's something that's on your fault, if he says, well, did you not see the part where I literally explained that problem? Then you're like, oh shit, I made a mistake. Right. But if it's something where they're just explaining their side of it, that doesn't mean your interpretation is wrong. So you need to be cautious. Like for me, that's something I'm very cautious about when it comes to interviews and reviews. Yeah. I actually had a really interesting experience where um, I'm not going to mention the show by name, but I reviewed the first season and I did not care for it. Um, I had many issues with it. Um, But I went into, but I got, I got picked up doing a couple of interviews for season two and I went into them with an open mind. Uh, and having seen also, like, I think the first, I think they made the first two episodes available. So I had seen a little bit already of the new season. And I also just kind of went in, like, we just, I just want to get this interview. Like, you know, it'll be good to have on the books. And in the course of doing the interview, it was just kind of like a basic, like, tell me what's going on with season two type deal. They ended up getting me on board to, to a degree. Like, they kind of, they didn't talk me into liking the show, but they mentioned certain things that were admittedly improvements upon season one that I really, that that sounded appealing. And I was, by the end of the interview, I was like, I, 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 plan, to, I plan to give this show a harder, a more serious look. And in fact, season two was, was in fact better. So it rewarded me in that respect. But that was a really interesting experience where I was keeping my mind open so I didn't have a firm opinion going into the interviews, but they did make me look at the show in a different way. Well, and that's and to me that's something that I'm always that's the main thing I'm nervous about right. because they're trained and literally trained by marketing people and handlers and everything to put the best possible spin and to try to get you into the mindset of watching it in a way that it should be watched. And I mean, uh, or in their opinion, it should be watched. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, well, that's not really how it works. And I think what we're trying to get at more than anything else with this discussion is kind of the difference between how critics can look at things and how you look at things as a, as a casual viewer. Mm-hmm. And it's important as a critic to pay very close attention to things so that you can't be, you know, dismissive without cause. Um, but there's also that casual fan aspect, where I, which I run into a lot, where I'm talking to somebody who doesn't like a show that I love – and if I'm referencing things and they're just like, ah, I must have missed that. It's like, well, yeah, you're, you're, you're just, you're not, it's not your job to do it. You're just trying to enjoy it. And sometimes I'll get too invested in a show and read too deeply into it and think that this thing is a brilliant subtext that I really enjoyed, like digging out of this otherwise kind of boring, you know, TV show or whatever it was. And that's what made it good to me. And it's like, well, people probably don't notice that all the time. Or they might, but it's such a minority viewpoint. It's just kind of shifting things. And then I like to think of it as more of like a contribution to the discussion around a, a show or a movie or whatever it is than anything else. But I don't want to be spun. Like, I don't want to go into an interview and come out of it like, well, I was wrong. Or mm-hmm. like, because I because then I just feel unprepared. I feel like if they're willing, if they can change me that much, then 
I didn't I didn't give my due diligence to the show in a way, or it feels really awkward. It feels like I feel like I've been worked over, and then it's and then I'm almost instead of going into it like, oh man, I should really pay more attention. It's 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 kind of in that same vein, but I'm almost more suspicious of it. Where when I go back, it's like, oh man, I gotta okay, I gotta really dig into this and make sure that I wasn't crazy when like the first time I went through. But it's an ordeal and it's tough. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes, especially with something where like if you're just preparing for the interview and you just kind of have it on so you can catch the the generalities of it, um, you know, that can change your opinion of it when you go back if you for some reason need to review it or whatever it is. So Mm -hmm. it's a strange, it's a strange world. It is. It is. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's. It's the one we, we we signed up for, and certainly having the access is way better than not having the access. Yes. So, in the meantime, it, I mean, right now we're, you know, just waiting to find out how certain things resolve in terms of television, in terms of the season. I'm babbling right now. This is, I was trying to come up with like a nice final note to end on, and I don't really have anything exciting before moving on to what to it's best the, thing next thing. That's the last week of the leftovers. Yeah. We're in mourning. I'm just I'm just I'm just really grateful that I get to see it before I go to Disney World. That is nice. Yeah. That that I'm going to Disney World next week and everybody have fun. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Got to remember to record next week's podcast in advance. Nah. <laughs> we don't need it. Leftovers will be done. <laughs> I mean, I feel like next week's episode we can probably promise will be very intensely leftovers related depends on when we have to record well if we get i think we i think we'd be able i think the timing wise will make it work if you think that i'm going to time my viewing experience of the leftovers finale around the podcast you crazy well aren't you going to watch it like immediately don't know this is interesting all right we'll figure this out uh it may be the week after we do a deep leftovers deep dive I don't think we're going to be – this is why I'm not worried about it. It's going to end. Like, Sunday is the end. Not just of the leftovers, everything. It's the end. So why are we worrying about Monday? Guys, just enjoy it while we're here. Well, on that note, then what was the best thing you watched last week? That was the leftovers. <laughs> that was the, was the Kevin episode. It was great. Uh, Fucking nuts. <laughs> Uh, anything else? Um, I, I mean, might I, I, I might post an article about this. It depends on how much time I have. Right. I'm pretty sure that Damon Lindelof and Tom Parada have been fucking with Justin Thoreau for three years in The Leftovers on purpose. I'm I'm like ninety percent sure about this. Anyway, it's obvious. I mean, it's thing. a pretty obvious theory. It's not though. Like it's, there's more to it than people suspect. Of course. It's, they're devilish. Those two. They are. They've got a wry twinkle in their eye. I mean, we've both. Speaking of privilege, we've both heard Tom Parada giggle, and that is not a giggle of an innocent man. No. He's been up to things. So anyway, the leftovers is the best thing I've seen in the last seven weeks. Liz, what was the best thing you saw last week, other than the leftovers? I guess. Um, I'm just going to say Handmaid's Tale. Good pick. Yep. Um, let's see. Yeah, I can't really say how much of it I've seen, uh, but I've seen a lot more. Um, there's one or two things from, there's one or two things that the season does that 
I feel like maybe it's not so much that they were bad as that I was really looking for. I knew they were probably coming based on interview comments, and I was a little underwhelmed. Um, and so double, that's the other side of the sword. Yeah. It's like, well, would I have been underwhelmed if I didn't know they were coming? And then you have to ask yourself about the uh, the formal setup and execution of the series and how you would have experienced it otherwise. It's crazy. It's so being a critic is so fun, you guys. You it's have the to, funnest. You have to analyze yourself just constantly. It's exhausting. Yeah. Or if, if if that is if you like to overthink things like Ben. Overthink or give them their due diligence, Liz. Potato potato. Um is it? <laughs> <laughs> all right, continue. Um but no, I mean, with with Handmaid's Tale specifically, like there's stuff in the book that I was pretty sure that there's stuff in the book that I was on alert for that then like in a, ca- a couple of casual comments got confirmed. We really should have used that as like an analogy kind of, you know, like reading a book and then watching the show is kind of like it's 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 got similar elements to like doing an interview and then watching a show. Yeah, I so, see it. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Good so, pick. So, yeah. Uh, thank you, Benjamin. Someday you will even watch it. Maybe. 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 Uh, well, so, I've only got a week. Yeah. Then well, time is over. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, then what's the next thing you're looking forward to? It's the Leftovers finale. <laughs> what are we even talking about? Well, what are you going to watch before the Leftovers finale? Nothing. Like, nothing? Well, I'm going to watch a lot of shit, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's the Leftovers finale. <laughs> that's that's it, guys. Like, I, I'm... I've I've pretended long enough. Like I again, I gotta emphasize this. This is this is the best thing that's gonna happen on TV all year. Just just get into it. Just fucking figure it out and be there on Sunday night. It's gonna be incredible. I'm so excited. Mimi Leader directed it. I. What else do you need to know? It's called the the Book of Nora. It's gonna be a fucking Carrie Coon episode. I am ecstatic. I want to watch it now. Carrie Coon. I want to watch it now. She's great. Yeah, yep. I'm looking forward to things that aren't the leftovers. I know that. Was oh, I assumed. I thought we were in agreement. I thought no. we were just going to talk about. I mean, no. Actually, I have. I, I can show you in my notes. I literally have the leftovers written down. Okay, so we're good. All right. No, one, but I did also want to mention. You're such a cheater. Yep. Well, you took. Think about it like this. You took my pick. So no, now. no, no, no. We all had the same pick. We unified behind it. United Front. IndieWire. IndieWire loves the leftovers. Um, Which is true, but uh, I'm also we also got playing house screeners, and speaking of, and that's a show that what? come out in like July, uh, late June. That's a ways off. Yes, but they're doing uh, they're doing something pretty cool where they're gonna have the whole season available for binging uh, as soon as it premieres. So, well, I mean, we're not gonna be alive for that, so it is probably a good idea that you watch those screeners this week. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to get a little worried about these comments, and maybe starting to wonder if I should start. Like working from home. Or Did you not build your arc? Do you have an arc? Of course I have an arc. But you're going to be dead. No, I mean, I. it's in case I'm not. Like, it, it's like if the if the flood comes, if Kevin Sr. doesn't learn to dance and do the dance in time, the flood will come and I will have my arc and I'll be okay. Hmm. Okay. Just like Kevin's, you know, Grace and Kevin are building the arc. So, it's, you know. Okay. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's as good a plan as I can get. I'm a little more prepared than you, it sounds like. Yeah. I live on the second floor, so I feel like... Uh, (laughs) You're very skeptical about my plan to just stay in my apartment. Terrible. (laughs) Terrible. Oh, man. Well, (laughs) 
for thank for everything leftovers related and maybe one or two things that are not leftovers related because somebody else wrote them. Not this week. <laughs> Go to indiewire.com for all that all news reviews, interviews, features. There's podcasts that are on IndieWire. Please listen to Screen Talk and Filmmaker Toolkit and turn it on while you can. <laughs> I'm going to I was going to say we'll be back next week, which is maybe true. It's not. <laughs> I no. What if the arc works for you? Then you can. Then you can at least be back. You think I'm going to be spending my time <laughs> like making a podcast for the the few like the handful of people who made an arc in preparation for the leftovers finale? I don't think so. I feel like Ben. That's your core audience. I feel like they desperately will want to listen to you. How and are have they going to download it? What? How are they going to get to it? The, the, the people are very resourceful in the post apocalypse. If I learned anything from films and television. I think I'm pretty sure I'll forget the podcasting equipment. <laughs> well, you, okay. It's not part of my plan. So I haven't accounted for that weight on the vessel. <laughs> and I'm not kicking out the pigs. You don't have any pigs. I'm bringing some with me, though. Okay, great. You got Ben's got it all figured out. Um, on the off chance he's completely wrong about everything, um, we will be back next week. And in the no. meantime, you guys. Leftovers! <laughs> Keep watching television.